0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Let's Get Radical is brought to you by Avalara, sales tax automation for businesses of all sizes. Visit us on the web at Avalara.com. That's A V A L A R A.com. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Paydar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz.
2: Hey, Liz, are you ready? Jody,
3: I'm totally ready. This is gonna be awesome. We're talking about one of you know the best topics there is succession planning, right?
2: Right. Who you're gonna sell your business to.
3: Right. You know a lot about that because actually you took over your dad's business. Wouldn't you call that succession planning?
2: Yes, it was succession planning. Um, and I wish I would have planned better. No, really. Um it was really it's really been a really good experience. So I can't complain, however. There were definitely things that I wish that I would have known, um, going in that I thought, oh, it's not going to happen to us because it's my dad and it's all going to work out. And yet had we done a little bit more planning on the front end, um, I think there would have been a lot less friction as we did that transition. And it took us three years to be totally transitioned. So So what was,
3: what was one thing that you wish you had done differently?
2: So, so I wish we would have actually had a written document. I mean, I know it's uh-huh. like really simple, but you think, oh, it's family and it's all going to be good. And, and everyone's going to remember exactly what they said when you make that plan. But in actuality, people change and it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, you know, nobody remembers exactly how it was supposed to work three years down the road when you're relooking at how the, the transition of power is actually Happening. And the other thing is, is that people don't think about, it's not really the money part, that's the worst part. And the money, yeah, it has to be dealt with. But it's really that power struggle that comes between the person who's taking over the business and the person who's leaving the business behind, because that power struggle is huge. And, and right. I think that was actually harder than the actual negotiation part. Um, but, but we're successfully through it. So, It's all Mm -hmm. good now. You've lived to tell the story. (laughs) I lived to tell the story and I (laughs) learned a ton. So I, you know, um, for those people who are going through it, um, there is light at the end of the tunnel and that it's really important to have a good plan before you start or as you start on that journey to really start thinking about it so that you make sure like you have everything in place as you go through that, you know, as you go through the succession and, um, yeah, because you'll you'll make it out on the other side.
3: Yeah. But so number this, so one rule, r- r- number one rule, write it down,
2: right? Absolutely. Write it down.
3: <laughs> yes. So it's exciting because today's guest I actually worked with for four years at Accounting Today, and he is here to talk to us all about succession planning. And and I know he works specifically with CPA firms, but you know, we like to take that information and knowledge and apply it to small businesses, because I think it's probably very similar. So without further ado, I want to inter- uh, to bring on um, Bill Carlino, my former editor. He currently serves as a managing director at Transition Advisors, where he oversees the New York metropolitan area as well as New England and regularly consults with CPA firms on M&A and ownership transition issues. Welcome to the show, Bill.
4: Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Jody. Glad to, glad to be here.
3: So so I know we talked about succession planning, but Bill, like, can you lay it out for some of our business owners that may not know actually what that means? Can you, can you sort of give them a, defin- a working definition?
4: Sure. So succession is the, the, the evolution or the transition of a business. And the first thing you know, that you would have to determine is whether your succession plan lies Internally, as Jody's did, uh, getting the torch passed from her dad, or externally via another firm. And each of them carries different ramifications. So uh, you have to to understand where your succession plan lies, first of all, before you start to, to make any determination to go forward.
3: Now, and now, would you say that most of the firms that you work with they're dealing with an internal succession, whether it's you know somebody taking over the firm for them from their father or mo- or mother or or um you know somebody inside the firm, or is it external, or is it mixed?
4: The, well, the majority of the of the deals that we touch during the course of a year are external. Mm-hmm. Um, there just seems to be more uh, appetite for that. A lot of the the um uh, sadly a lot of the firms haven't developed what they what i would call their bench you have to look if your succession lies internally or you think it does what you've got to do is take sort of a holistic view of your firm look at your bench and say do i do any of these people or are any of them high potential do they have the potential to eventually morph into an equity stakeholder and one day take the reins of the firm and if they don't then you're going to have to look externally toward an, uh, an upstream merger with a larger firm that can, can take over all the, all the administrative duties, the billings, help with cross-selling, just something with greater resources that can carry that transition plan through.
3: And now, is that something you help your clients with, like determining, you know, are they, are, is there somebody internally that can take over? Is there like a checklist? Like, how do you do that kind of assessment? Because it seems well, like you would it, probably, you need to be thorough.
4: Well, usually when uh, when somebody contacts us or they talk with us, they they usually have a pretty good idea of which way they want to go. Um, I mean, they're 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 obviously more intimately involved with their own firm than we do. Uh, we we come in, we can do an evaluation. Uh, we also do things like new partner admissions, um, exit strategies for retiring partners. So if, there's, if we can see that there's a possibility of an internal succession, then we'll structure the deal that way. Um, many, Most of the time, or at least most of the clients on my side, are looking toward an external solution for their transition plan.
3: And so when did you join uh, Transition Advisory? Was like
4: 2010? Uh, yeah, I came aboard in March 2012. I had spent 12 years at Accounting Today, four of them, uh, working right. with you. Um, right. Where we became, uh, and then we became involved with uh, with Jody. She became a uh, a regular contributor for us. So uh, it's a very it's a very insular uh, profession. Everybody knows everybody.
3: Yeah, that's true. And so, I mean, how did you, what have you seen as sort of changes um, in succession planning since you came on board to where we are today? I mean, is there, you know, especially with the baby movers aging out, you know, we all love to talk about that. Um, you know, have you seen uh, sort of an uptick in um, in people needing exit strategies and succession plans?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the statistics uh, are sort of shocking and eye-opening that, uh, that come out. You had mentioned uh, the baby boomers, uh, mm-hmm. and everybody's seen this statistic, 78 million baby boomers retiring. Mm-hmm. That's across the board. So that, that places a tremendous sort of pressure on the talent pipeline. A lot of times, they're, you know, they're, they're, the, the pipeline isn't as full as it needs to be. Do you realize that in the United States, one person turns... 65 every eight seconds. So by the time we're done with our session here today, we're going to be (laughs) celebrating 450 more 65th (laughs) birthdays. Okay, so that's, you know, you have an aging crisis um, in the profession. And you also, it's also incumbent upon the profession. And, you know, they've done a better job of it lately, but uh, I'm sure Jody can vouch for this sort of toward the, the early, the late 90s, early 2000s. Too many of the, you know, the problem wasn't getting folks to study accounting. There were plenty of people in college studying accounting. The problem was keeping them in the profession Mm -hmm. where they would fill Mm -hmm. that talent pipeline. But you had, you know, these tech companies springing up in Silicon Valley. You know, they would get these angel investors. So somebody who was, who had studied accounting for four years at a university all of a sudden sees these these people, you know, with uh, going public, becoming millionaires overnight, thinking to themselves, why should I sit in a cubicle at a big four firm for two years doing type A tax or audit work when I can either go there or I can go on Wall Street, you know, where the, where the compensation is better? So the profession didn't do a, a, a great job, you know, a number of years ago, sort of, uh, keeping people in the profession, instead of focusing on the CPA credential, which they should have. You know, there were more these other sort of credentials that came out. The uh, Jody would remember the Cognitor. The AICPA put a number, you know, millions of dollars in resources trying to promote that, where they really should have been staying more in house, getting the folks who put in four years of college, studying accounting, and getting them to re- to re- remain in the profession. How much
3: of that is related to culture? I mean, in, in you know, sort of in the totally related to culture. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like if your firm is hip, you know, and they deal flex right. time, and you you offer you know good maternity leave mm. and paternity leave, which is now the thing. I mean, you know, how many firms are doing that? Because I remember well, writing about that know, ten years ago, it's, and it's still yeah. an issue in accounting. You know, well, that's, a, so, that's you
4: know, that's a great Liz. That's a great point, and it's become it's become. Uh, uh, much more uh, visible now with the millennials mm-hmm. and the gen x because they want right. different things than the than the uh than the baby boomer generation you know it used to be you know oh i want a great boss now it's i want great colleagues you know, mm-hmm. well, the, before the hours were 9 to 5, now it's, you know, whenever because of all the cloud applications allowing you to work remotely. You know, they're, they're, they look at benefits, and, and, and don't get me wrong, salary is still critical. If anybody tells you salary doesn't matter, don't believe them. Salary is still, still a critical. But there's other things, you know, uh, uh, working closely with the community, good, you know, paid good benefits, you know, that type of thing. Um, very and one of the one of the top things and anybody will tell you this is is uh, you know a, a very strong IT department. If if you don't if you're not up to speed with IT, it's 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 not going to be a place that's going to attract millennials or Gen X. In fact, one of the things I like to do with my clients when they say, "Well, we're looking for young people," I I, I like to do a role reversal with them. I said, "Pretend I'm a young strapping CPA." with a good book of business who just walked into walked into your firm convince me why I should work here and mm-hmm. a lot of times they can't do it i said this and a lot, you know i have to be honest with them i said you know there's really nothing in this firm that's going to attract the young the young holy grail type of talent that everybody's looking for
3: yeah yeah, and, and, and then what happens? They just look at you like you have three heads or what? They're like, you
4: know. <laughs> no, they you say, know, you, know, I, I, you know, one of the things, one of the, our company, you know, I was going to say we specialize in transition and ownership issues. One thing we do not do is executive recruiting. So normally mm-hmm. what I would do is I would give them a referral. But I said, you may want to talk to an executive recruiter, uh, you know, or an outside consultant who specializes in this to sort of make your firm more beautiful, to either as a place to work or, or uh, getting it ready for a merger. For anybody who sold a house, when does your home ever look better than when you're about to sell it? All those home improvement projects that you've been putting off for years, you have to do it to make your, your house you know, appeal, get it, uh, get it to a curb appeal status so you're able to sell it. And it's really no different with a CPA firm, upgrading your technology, You know, making your, your, your reception area, that's the first point of contact. You know, they don't Mm -hmm. want to see stacks of paper. Yeah, they
2: have to do Um, the staging. So at that point, they might as well just stay after they've cleaned it all up, right? (laughs) After they've fixed (laughs) it it all up. If
4: you're you're looking for a succession plan and you're too old, then you're not going to do it. And, you know, one of the things we ask our clients when they say, you know, I'm thinking I'm looking to merge, is we never ask them when they want to retire. We always ask them how many more tax seasons do you want to work full time? So you have to posit the question that way. It doesn't make, right. make it sound like they're getting pushed out the door. If they say they want to work, you know, three more, three to five more years, you know, that's probably a, a good timeline. Um, one of the things that, you know, unfortunately, one of the things we've seen uh, is, is procrastination. And there's nothing worse than someone who procrastinates their succession plan, who starts too late. Um, you know, it yeah. makes it very, very difficult for a transition.
3: Yeah and and we have more questions about succession planning. I mean, I actually really like talking about this. It's kind of an interesting topic. But Bill, when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, the elements to a good succession plan and, you know, some other th- mistakes people make in there. Yeah. So, stay tuned and we're we'll continue our conversation with Bill Carlino.
0: Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you, too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.
1: Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important. But the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting. Visit rhinogirlmedia.com. You are listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Pedar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 866 472 790 you may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show.
3: Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Paydar. And our guest today is Bill Carlino. He is uh, from Transition Advisors, and he tries to match. Uh, he. What does he do? What do you do, Bill? No, I'm just kidding. You. You help match transition advisors. With an array of services such as succession readiness evaluations, new yeah. partner admissions, partner retirement, and exit support.
4: Right. Uh, we, partner
3: retreats. Yes. Yeah. When, basically,
4: what we basically what we do is we um, we help CPAs with with everything that surrounds ownership uh, transition and succession. Yeah. So anything so, M and A, new partner admissions exit strategies for retiring partners, drafting partner agreements, that type of thing. Anything that surrounds that, we do.
3: So it's a lot of strategy and probably tactical work. And and so, I mean, my, my question to you, Bill, is, you know, obviously we know succession plans are like a strategic plan or a business plan. You know, it can easily be made and just like sit on a shelf somewhere. But, you know, these should be a living, breathing document. And so what are some of the elements today in 2016, moving into 2017, that, you know, succession plans need to have, you know, for a business owner or for an accounting firm?
4: Okay, well, I, I, the, the first thing is, you know, people, the, the, one of the most frequent questions I get is, when, when should we have a succession plan? And my answer is always the same. You should have a succession plan the day you open for business. You should have mm-hmm. a succession plan written. Um, unfortunately, that's as you can imagine, that's not always the case. There are some proactive firms that do that, but your succession plan um, when you decide to do it, should be in writing, and it should be something that is revisited every year to see if anything's changed. You should have an annual checklist. Perhaps some of your uh, your partners, your equity stakeholders, have changed their timelines when they want to start slowing down and transitioning out. Maybe you've, you've lost some clients over the years. Maybe you've opened another office. Uh, there's a whole you know, number of things that sort of go into the, the um the mix, the ingredients, I should say, that formulate a succession plan. But the thing is, like, like I said, it's you, you You need to do it sooner rather than later. Now, as far as, you know, the elements of a succession plan, and by a succession plan, you know, we could say um, is choosing the right successor. Okay, that would be number one. Um, and we, what we'd like to do is we like to say um, when you're – it's someone that says, Okay, I think my succession solution lies externally, which means they're looking for an upstream merger. All right? The thing is, we have what we call the four C's, the letters C that are that are critical to any to the success of any merger. The first one is is chemistry. If you don't have any chemistry, you know there's no point in going on. We like there's a saying in our company that if you don't want to have lunch with somebody, don't do a deal with them. Because Mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with these folks, why on earth would you think your clients would be? The second one is culture. You had talked about, Liz, you had mentioned culture before. Now, culture can take many forms. It could be, you know, a dress code. I mean, someone uh, who wears you know, high-top high converse and jeans every day goes into a white shoe firm, that's probably not going to be a culture that meshes. But it could also be, you know, the, the type of clients you have, the ethnicity of some of your clients. We had mm-hmm. a gentleman in the Astoria section of uh, Queens near LaGuardia Airport whose who 95% of his clients were Greek or first-generation or, first or immigrant Greeks. Now, he was looking for a succession plan, so we had to be we had to be very very careful about who we met with because that's there's a cultural issue there. Um, also, cultural issues could be benefits. It could be you know maybe one firm gets four weeks paid vacation, this firm gets three weeks for paid vacation. So hmm. all that's all that's going to be has to be uh, taken into consideration. The third is cap- capacity. Does your successor have the capacity to take you on? And if they mm-hmm. don't, there's going to be problems. I mean, you have to worry about your payout, you know, when you when you finally start transitioning out. Do they have the financial and um, space capacity to take you on? And the last is continuity. And what I mean by continuity is, you know, how long have their partners been partners? How long have their clients been there? Do they have a lot of churn with regard to client exodus? Does it look more like a fast food restaurant staff than it does an accounting firm? You know, you have to take that into consideration. So you need to have the four C's sort of align to have the perfect merger. And I would also add this: is know know the reason why you're merging. You know, it could be a lot of things. It could be succession, which is the topic of for today. But know, you know, what does success look like for you? No, know, is it because you want to get into another geographic market? Is it because you want to add another client service line? Um, I had a you know a case study. I had a call from a gentleman uh, in Michigan who said he was interested in 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 looking for a firm to acquire. So I said, well, what, what are you looking for? And he says, well, I've got some empty space. And I said, y- you're, you you want to merge in a firm because you've got a couple of empty cubicles and some unused <laughs> computers? And he said, yeah. I said, look, I said I'm going to do you a favor. I said sublet the space because you're going to be spending more waking hours with these people than you will with your own family. So I guess mm-hmm. the most critical thing that I want to impart to your audience is know the reason f- why you're merging. Basically, what do you want to be when you grow up?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you know what you wanted to be, jo- uh, Jody? Not
2: an accountant? No. <laughs>
3: I mean, what your firm, what do you wanted to you know what you wanted your firm to look like when you took over your dad's firm?
2: No. and in fact, um, you know, my firm doesn't look anything like my dad's firm did at all. So really, he merged into me as opposed to I taking over him, even though it truly was succession. If you look at our firm, it's completely different, and it his firm really merged into my new vision. Cause he always says he was the old vision and I'm the new vision, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, because it, it wouldn't have worked like my, my firm wouldn't work in his firm. It, so really I kind of acquired him. Yeah. Well, I, I like the concept of the four
3: C's chemistry, culture, capacity, continuity. And I think, I mean, that, that seems pretty key to, um, you know, joining somebody or bringing somebody on. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you measure chemistry? Well, I mean, is it my, just a ma- is it just a matter of like sitting down with somebody and feeling good? You know, uh, I mean, how do you, how do you decide if uh, somebody has chemistry? How, if you guys have chem- chemistry?
4: Are you asking me I, or Joe? Yeah,
3: sure, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Somebody well, in the well, abyss. No, the Bill.
4: Thing. You know, here's the thing is when we put two firms together in our company, Everybody, one of the questions I always get is, will you be at the meeting? And we're ne- we are never at the meeting. And the reason mm-hmm. we're not at the meetings between the two firms is we, we like to leave them on their own. We don't want to exert any third-party undue influence. Because with somebody else in the room, uh, firms tend to get a little tentative about what they want to ask. So the, the, issue, so the issue of whether you have real chemistry sort of is a little, a little diluted. It sort of wanes a little. So... That's mm-hmm. why we're never at the meetings. Usually after the first meeting, the first meeting is usually um, they don't drill down too deep uh, as far as firm metrics and that type of thing. It's usually to see if everybody gets along. Usually after you spend an hour and a half or so with a firm, um, you could pretty much tell if you're going to be, um, if, if you would want a second meeting. I mean, I've, I've had firms that said, you know, have told me, Bill, after 20 minutes, this is not the firm for us. I mean, it's right. it's almost like a dating process, you know. Yeah. And everybody's been yeah. through that. You know, you've been many, you've been on bad dates, you've been on great dates, and it's really no divorced. different because it, you're you're you know you're you're, form, you, you're potentially forming a partnership. And if if it's not clicking within the first hour, then just say you know thanks for the time, walk away, and it's all and all it's done is cost you an hour of your time.
2: So my question is, is how many firms break up after they've merged? Because I think that that's kind of the unknown statistic, yeah. but it seems like a lot of firms actually do break up even after they've merged.
4: Well, you know, it's, it's funny um, that you mentioned that because uh, we don't get asked to in- include a demerger clause very often when we're structuring the contracts. Um, I'm not a great believer in it, and I'll tell you why. Um, here's the thing. If If you, Jody, if you had merged with a firm other than your father, all right, and you insisted on a demerger clause, and that could be triggered after the first year, truthfully, if you really look, introspectively, how committed would you be to making this merger successful for that first year? You would really have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. I mean, oh,
2: absolutely, and right. I would believe so, that the only reason our firm succession worked is because it was my father's firm and not right. uh, an I outsider. Mean,
4: you know, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, our company in its history, we were approaching the 900 uh, merger mark, 900 firms, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to tell you that all 900 are still together, um, but, the, but in actuality, the percentage of firms who break up, at least in our experience... Um, sort of is, 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 is minimal at best, sort of almost a, you know, man bites dog type of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Of course it happens. You know, it's like, it's like marriage. You know, there's, there's a, you know, when people started living together, that didn't bring down the divorce rate in America. So <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. when you think about it. So um, it does happen, but we're, we're not, a, like I said, we're not a great believer in the demerger clause. If our client asks for it, obviously we'll include it but you know there's there's baggage that comes with that and it and, and that tends to center around commitment right and so have you had a
3: story where i'm sure you probably have you've probably seen everything but you know where a firm is really into another firm and then the, the other firm is like yeah no way um how do you break it the news to the firm that really wants to merge with them
4: well we have a <laughs> it, interesting you should mention that <laughs> I mean- we have a we 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 have a script obviously that we've crafted <laughs> where we've just it's we sort of soften it up, and we say they've they've chosen at this time to meet with other firms. But mm-hmm. if anything turns around, you know we'll certainly get back to you. And that tends to soften the blow of yeah. that because it, yeah. you know that does that, that that does happen. I mean when people, you know yeah. two firms and people sometimes people feelings. Yeah, they're are are at polar opposites as far as you know what one thinks of the other. So, yeah. you know, there are, there are ways. This business, you know, as, as, as Jody will tell you, this business is as much psychological as it is financial. And, right. you know, people don't believe this, but for us, it's much harder to merge in a, a sole practitioner than it is to merge in a multi partner firm. And the reason being that a sole practitioner, it's like they've grown this thing from the ground up. So it's a much more emotional decision for them to mm-hmm. let go than it right. is for five or a five or six partner firm whose stake is solely financial. They really don't mm-hmm. have that much of an emotional commitment to it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking to Bill Carlino from Transition Advisors. Stay tuned.
0: Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A V-A-L-A-R-A.com.
1: Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting. Visit rhinogirlmedia.com. You're listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Pedar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 866 472 790 you may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jody Paydar, and I'm here with Liz Gold. And today we are talking to Bill Carlino about mergers, acquisitions, and succession plans. But before we get into my favorite part of the show, which is the financial underwear drawer. We have to give a quick shout out to Avalara and to also Intuit for sponsoring our show. So a big thank you to them for allowing mm-hmm. us to bring you um, awesome programming every week. And so, Bill, my favorite part of the show is the financial underwear drawer. And I guess I would like to know what do you think firms should have in their financial statements to look to make them look most attractive to other firms who are, want to acquire them or want to merge with them. Like, what are some of the top things that um, the acquiring firms want to see from uh, uh, another firm's financial statement?
4: What, what, what they like to see. I, I'm afraid to address the financial underwear part of it. My God. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Um, what, 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 You're not allowed. What firms like to see, I mean, um, is a good grasp they like to see if, if I'm a, the the potential successor firm, and I'm looking at the financial statements of a firm I'm looking to acquire, I, I like to see a firm have a, the, my, you know, the firm I'm going to merge in have a good grasp of their, of their metrics. I'd like to see a decent realization rate. I'd like to see a decent net, not a, not an over the top net. Um, I'd like to see, you know, uh, Dece, you know, decent-sized bill uh, or decent billing rates, um, because again, that that sort of touches the the previous segment we talked about culture. If you know, I'm a you know basic little 1040 firm, and I'm you know my top billing rate is 160, and you know there's a firm looking at me and they're you know and their their equity stakeholders are getting 400, 450. You know that's that's a big cultural difference. Um, right. So. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. I I one of our clients out on Long Island. He he's fond of saying, uh, my you know my most important client is my firm, meaning that he has a grasp of all the metrics. I mean, I've I've actually had firm owners. I said, well, what is your net? You know, what's to your bottom line? What's your net? And he says, oh, everything after salaries, you know, and 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 overhead. So. Yeah. That doesn't, as a, as a potential acquirer, that doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence that this owner has a grasp on what his firm is doing.
2: Um, right, I like the to see you know, shoes.
4: I, right, I like to see someone with a you know with a with a sharp you know with a with a sharp grasp of where their firm is going of the of the key metrics, the, or as they like to say around the industry, the, key, the KPIs, the key performance indicators. That's what they should be. That's what they should be looking at. I mean, other things can be fixed. If someone's not as profitable um, as, they, as they could be, you know, that's up to the, the successor firm. They could probably turn that around. There are, you know, certain roadblocks or deal breakers that probably can't be turned. But, um, you know, I guess my, 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 my thought here is uh, it's almost like the multiple. Too many people are, are just obsessed with what, what multiple can they get for their firm? When well, they don't realize that the multiple is basically the effect where a lot of other factors become the cause, and we we can go into that a little later. But you have a decent net, decent metrics. Um, I, I'll you know a so, lot of things. A firm with a larger firm with greater resources could sort of rectify. Um, but again, you know. So, what it, is it, it the like,
2: multiple like? What's the going multiple now? Is it still like one times gross for like yeah, a regular well, I was
4: going you know, to say you've been in this profession a long time. If you <laughs> if you harken back to the 1990s or the late 1990s, um, you'll remember for, you know people, players like um, American Express Tax and Business Services and Centerprise, which is now UHY Advisors, they were buying up um, an H and R block. They were buying up firms that are just an incredible rate and paying outrageous multiples. I'm talking almost two times, two times revenue. Uh, Now it's become, you know, obviously location is very important. Uh, People in like where you are in Chicago or the New York metropolitan area or Los Angeles or even around the Miami area will get higher multiples, obviously, than some firms in the, you know, in the rural areas of the Midwest. But very, very rarely are you going to see... uh, Multiples now over one one point two one point one, you know. In some areas of you know, we deal with some areas in in um, in Michigan and Indiana where they where they're lucky to get point six or or point seven. So uh-huh. it's becoming much more of a it's becoming much more of a buyer's market now because of the succession crisis. Um, they could be a little more selective, whereas maybe five or seven years ago it was, a, it was a seller's market where they could pick and choose. So the multiple, like I said, there's a lot of things that affect the multiple, um, which, you know, length of, you know, length of a payout period, money, cash up front, um, client retention. That all affects the multiple. But, the, 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 you know, the, uh, I was going to say you'll probably be safe in most of the metropolitan areas one one time. You could probably get one time. S- smaller firms tend to get a little higher multiple than the larger firms, but you know if you're a, if you're a decent sized firm, I would say probably one one point one sometimes. That's what so that's I what know the,
2: the cur- Most of your clients are probably bigger, right? So they're bigger firms. Um- well,
4: you know, it's it's funny. We, you know, our sweet spot. You know, you 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 are right to a point. Our sweet spot for the, our firms probably is between two million and six million. But what a lot of people don't realize is we've done mergers with 45 of the top 100 firms in the country. So we've dealt with the, the big, the big you know, outside of the big four who have their own M&A divisions. Right. But we've dealt with a lot of the super regional firms and a lot of many of the top 100 firms. So
2: um, my the, question to you is, is what do the younger partners think? about how all these mergers and acquisitions are coming through. So I know some of the firms that you're working with have multiple partners, but of the, like the 40-year-old partners, what are they looking for in these firms as they're going to acquire them?
4: Okay, well, if I'm a 40-year-old partner, um, obviously I'm in it for the long haul. If, if I'm at a, just for example, say I'm at a four-partner firm, you know, two, two partners are in their 40s, the other partners are in their 60s, which is not mm-hmm. that uncommon. So if we're if we're going to merge into a firm to upstream to a to a bigger firm, the strategies are going are going are to be very very different for each of us. The two forty year olds uh, ideally will be given an equity stake in the successor firm and and, a, and uh, bestowed partner status, where the other the older partners may who may want to you know exit to start winding down in two years. Don't want the headache or the liability of equity, and they'll just you know they'll work two years and then you know we'll we'll structure a buyout for them where their where their buyout begins say in year two or year three. So they're going to be transitioning out while the younger partners get a get a uh, get a chance to be part of the succession team of a larger firm. That's actually not an atypical scenario at all. That happens quite often. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, because I've always found the problem with succession is, is like the young people want something different than the older people. And how do all those values come together to make sure that it works for everyone? Because
4: we, because we we, 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 we uh, structure separate deals for everyone. The younger partners get equity. They, and and they're part of the succession team. Well, the older partners get a, an agreed on buyout and they, and they, and they transition out in, in two to three years. And yeah. Th- and so the younger partners become part of that succession um, team of the, of the larger firm. They get, you know, a bump, of, a bump up in salary. They'll get new business development incentives, you know, and, and that type of thing. So it's, you know, merging up. Everybody, sometimes merging up, or an upstream merger has a, has a bad, connotes badly. But for a lot of young people, it, it really presents a great opportunity for them um, to be part of a larger firm and be part of that succession uh, succession team.
2: And I guess, do you have any like deal horror, horror stories where like you got <laughs> all the way to the end?
4: <laughs> We've got uh, how, how much time do we have? Yes, we, we have. You know, I can, where you, you got know, all I the can... way
2: to the end, and then it like like what's the best deal horror story that you have?
4: Well, I can tell you, almost not so much a a horror story, but I can tell you, we had talked about, Liz opened the show, we're talking about succession planning, and when should it start? We were working with a firm uh, out on Long Island, Uh, he was an older sole sole practitioner, um, and this goes to, you know, the dangers of of procrastination, and we had put him in meetings with a, a number of firms, and sort of at the, it was toward the end of the year, and I would say probably around this time in November, he called me and he said, you know, I want to put it off until after busy season. And we had had a couple of, you know, several interested parties who were willing to sort of expedite things and get everything ready before prior to the onset of tax season. But he decided that he wanted to, um, to wait. And here's what happened. In, in the ensuing six months, he had his, his right-hand person resigned which came out of nowhere. He didn't see that coming. He, had a, he lost a large client, and he suddenly discovered that his IT system needed a, a $75,000 overhaul. Oh, and gosh. now he had to lay that money out. He lost his right-hand oh. person, lost a big client. His billings went down, and now he's open to any offer that comes along instead of being able to negotiate the best deal. So that mm. sort of illustrates in you know, sort of bold letters the dangers of procrastination.
3: Don't procrastinate. Yeah. Wow.
4: Yeah. Time, we have a <laughs> saying here, and that's time kills all deals. And yeah. not only in procrastinating, but if two parties agree that they want to merge, you know, if the process starts dragging out way too long, nothing good ever comes of that. Uh, your, employee, your employees can find out, your competitors can find out. And let me tell you, if, a, if an employee finds out that you're, you're merging, it spreads faster than a middle school rumor. Trust me. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, I was going to say, yeah. nothing good ever comes. The 14th time you read an agreement, you're going to notice something that you did not the first seven seven times. So that's, that's why we like to you know, keep the process moving. Uh, we tell people, look, time kills all deals. And that's a truism in this business
3: amazing and so we're going to take a quick break but at the when we come back i want to talk about how do you actually break the news to your employees uh that you're actually you know merging or um okay yeah so we'll talk about that and uh so stay tuned
0: Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e commerce, and point of sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A V A L A R A.com.
1: Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Padar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome
3: back. You're listening to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Padar. And our guest today is Bill Carlino from Transition Advisors. We've been talking about exit strategies and succession planning and mergers and acquisitions and all that good stuff. And so in the last segment, we were talking about um, you know, what not to do, which is procrastinate. And and so, Bill, you know, when is it a good time to tell your employees that something major is happening? <laughs>
4: Well, the, well. The 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 first thing is always to be honest, and and here's the thing: is you not only have a you know you not only have to break it to your employees, but perhaps more importantly, you've got to find a way to break it to your clients. All right, because mm-hmm. clients clients have very very real fears when it comes to a merger. All right, and you know, and Jody can tell you, Jody can vouch for this. You know, the client's fears are, you know, uh, is is the partner that I work with still going to be there? Are my fees going to change? Mm-hmm. Do I have to drive further to see my CPA than I did before? So, those are, you know, change is a very, very dirty word to clients and mm-hmm. maybe less so to employees. But let's address the employee um, thing before. Is like I said, uh, you know, the best thing to do, the best policy, and, you know, it sounds sort of cliched, honesty is the best policy. Most of the time in a merger, uh, the successor firm will give a grace period to if there's any kind of redundancies. Like maybe you don't need two administrators. You know maybe you don't need you know six power professionals. They already have them. So make make them understand that you know there's going to be a grace period. Some are going to leave anyway because they'll get, they'll panic. But the you know we sometimes we structure it in the contract. You know their right hand person or their, their seniors must stay. You know, it might be a deal breaker if they're not, you know, if they don't transition to the other firm. But the best policy is just, you know, be honest with them. You know, if you try to conceal things, uh, like I said, rumors, you know, rumors are going to leak out. And nothing, nothing really, really good ever happens. With we, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Is we, had a, uh, we were working with a firm in the New York area that was uh, sort of in the final stages. It had been dragging on for a long, long time. And somehow, someone left a copy of the merger contract on the copy machine, and one of the, <laughs> oh, one, no. of the assist- one of the assistants found it. And uh, you know the, the backlash from that. I don't. I don't think I need to describe what happened. She she probably called everybody when she got home. there was panic, and it took them like kind of two days to quell. You know what what was what could possibly result in an employee revolt. So, like I said, the best thing is, you know, once it's signed, be honest with them, have a, have a meeting, address their questions, you know, address the future. Like I said, change is a bad word to anybody. Now, on the flip side, clients, all right, there are, there are changes, what we call changes behind the door and changes in front of the door for clients. Now, if you merge with a firm and you're say for example, you're using UltraTax, and the firm you're merging with is using ProSystemFX, if I'm a client, I don't care that you're on different software platforms as long as my tax return gets done. That's a change behind the door. I don't see that. That's a problem for the, the two firms to work out. But all of a sudden, if I'm going to, to Jody for my tax return, she sends me a bill every year for $500. All of a sudden, she does my tax return, and I get a bill this year for $850. That's a, that's a change in front of the door. The client is going to feel that. Or mm-hmm. if I have to, if she was around the corner and now I have to drive to downtown Chicago to see her, that's a change in front of the door. I'm going to feel that. So the best thing to do, my best advice uh, for your clientele is to sort of divide them up between A, B, and C clients. Your A clients, you may want to go visit personally saying and bring, the, and bring your merger partner with you to sort of ease them into this. The B clients, they might get a phone call. The C clients... They might get an email announcing it. It's all, you know, people, people just, you know, say, well, how do I do this? You know, how do I not, how do I just sort of reduce the shock value? And I said, it's all in the packaging. Never position a merger, whether it's, whether it's, you know, in front of your employees or in front of your clients. Never position a merger as the loss of your firm, but rather position it as the gain of the successor firm. It's all a matter of packaging.
2: I would and do they, that. That? Yeah. I mean, I do they buy do. that? I mean, but do I, I they buy that? I think do? clients do. I think clients do. All yeah. clients want to know is that they're taken care of and that if you can position it the right way, most most of your clients will agree to the next the next phase. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's totally, it's how it's sold to them or how it's positioned well, to them.
4: Well, well, that's why there were so few um, immediate sales of accounting firms. Like, I, you know, very rarely does someone just write a check and get handed the keys to the front door because, you know, their long-term, if their long-time clients come in and all of a sudden they see somebody else sitting behind the desk, what are the chances that they're going to they're retain that client? You know, people find it strange, but I always compare choosing your CPA to the same way people choose dentists, all right? It's by referral. You develop a loyalty. You know, I've had my same dentist since 1995. I won't go to anybody else. Or if, if he sells his practice and I come in there and there's somebody else sitting in his chair, what are the chances you think I'm going to let him do a root canal or her do mm-hmm. a root canal? I don't know their level of competency. I, I, I don't know them. The same thing's going to happen um, with a CPA firm. You don't know his or her level of competency if your former uh, firm sells out. So that's why the client retention period is so critical. And that transition, client transition handoff is so critical to the success of any merger. So you yeah. normally, the first year, you know, you want to shake the tree as hard as you can. If you're going to lose any clients, you want to lose them the first year, especially if you've got a two-year retention period. Because if, say, your buyout starts in year three, you don't want any client leaving in year three, because that's going to affect your buyout going, going forward. So, right. you know, it's, it's critical, you know, the employees surely are important, but it's even more critical to, to you know, handhold the client's. Because most of the people, you know, how many times does um, an accounting firm really see their clients in person? I mean, if, if, uh, if someone says, I want to I merge, I want to transition out in five years, for most of the people, that's really only five visits, and that's usually a tax time when they are personally face-to-face in your office. We may email them every day. We, make, we may call them occasionally, but per, in your office... They're maybe they're only in probably once a year. So if you say I want to, I want to transition out in five years. When you think about it, that's really only five visits. So that doesn't give you a whole lot of time for that face-to-face client transition where you introduce them to your merger partner. So that's why it's so critical, you know, to be you know, to be really upfront with your clients and package it as the gain of the successor firm and not the loss of your firm.
3: That's good stuff, Bill. Really good stuff. So we have to wrap up, but. Thank you so much for being hey, on the no show. Hey, no problem.
4: Glad to do it. And, hey, can you, just, and how, can you just do me one how, favor? We we like to post, you know, I know it's not airing till December 6th, but when it does, can you post me a link because I'll give it to our marketing director, and she puts it on our site under the resources where we have articles and white papers and that type of thing.
3: Yes, absolutely. And so we just want to say, how can people get in touch with you in case uh, they want to, you know, transition into a new firm?
4: Yeah. Just go to our website, transitionadvisors.com, and my contact information will be down there, and I'll be happy to entertain any questions uh, or any, um, uh, any other, thing, any other um, thoughts you have on, on mergers, whether it lies in, internally or externally. I'll be happy, to, I'll be happy to, to spend a few minutes with you on the phone or in person
3: fantastic and so awesome thank uh, you thank you so much and you can get in touch with us at jody and liz at let's get radical dot catch us on uh itunes and stitcher and we will be back with you next week thank you
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Get Radical. Please join Liz Gold and Jody Paydar again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, it's time for you to get radical.